every time I stepped up into a new role, I very quickly was starting to work for my team. And I think that's one of the biggest you know issues I see a lot of people have, no matter whether it's a family business type of situation or anybody moving into a leadership role, a lot of people like to take management and leadership roles for the title. I could care yeah. less about titles. If I don't have to carry a business card on me for the rest of my life, I'm good. Like when we get new guys in the team and we got to creatively think new titles for them, like, do we really need a title? Like it doesn't, like titles shouldn't matter. Sure. What you do and how you act. And obviously there's a focus, what your, what your area of expertise is, but I've never been a title guy. So I was never the guy be like, I'm your manager. I'm this guy. I'm this guy. I'm like, what do you need from me? How can I make your day better? How can I help you with your process? Are you thinking about this? Are you thinking about that? So my planning mindset has always been super helpful to work through the business and it's given me the ability to build this reputation with all the guys in the shop floor. Welcome to the Land Life Podcast with your host, PJ Riley. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Land Life Podcast. My name is PJ Riley. Guys, if you're getting value from this podcast, do me a solid. Stop what you're doing right now. Leave a like a comment. Um, if you're on uh, Spotify or iTunes, make sure you leave like a one line or a two line comment. Nothing crazy. Just say, hey, PJ, the guest today, Stefan, was like, a, he was an awesome guy, super interesting. Um, can't wait to hear more. Something like that. Just just, just a one line or two line or nothing crazy. Um, guys, at the end of this podcast, Stefan's going to leave uh, ways you can contact him. So if what he says resonates with you, if he's, if, if, if the story that he tells is like, damn, I want to hear more about this. Um, he's going to leave ways you can contact him. So stick around to the end of the podcast for that. Um, yeah, guys. Otherwise, uh, Stefan Yunes, did I say it right? Close enough. Damn it, he prepped me for this too. He like prepped me <laughs> a ton and he's like, don't fuck this up, dude. Or I'm going to walk out. That's what he said. Word for word. I'm walking out if you mess this up. So uh, president CEO of, of Elnick Systems. Dude, this guy's like super smart. Uh, it's a metallurgic metallurgical services company. Is that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Guy work, he's got he's a woodworker at SJ Wood Company. Um, he it's his amazing stuff. And when he explains exactly what he does, it's going to make what my uh introduction pale in comparison. So, uh, Stefan, <laughs> how's it going, man? I'm good, PJ. Thank you for the time. Appreciate you having me on board here, dude. I'm psyched for this one because this is I've never even heard of this. So, this is like some of this the stuff you do is, is super interesting. Um, now, kind of give us a little first of all, you're in New Jersey right now, right? Yep. Okay. Kind of give us a background. Um, Stefan Yearns, probably not know. born in Detroit, right? Nope. The name doesn't exactly. sound like a uh, like, like an American name. So kind of give us a background on you, where you started, and kind of catch us up to where we're at now. Yeah, love to. And again, thanks for the, the chance to be here with you. So actually, I'm a uh, New Jersey native, born and raised here. Uh, went to school, University of Delaware. My family's all from Germany. Um, that's where our company started, which is actually a subsidiary of my, uh, my grandfather's business. My dad started here in New Jersey. So what we do, um, let's see, I've worked in and out of this company since I was 14 years old. And, uh, there's a couple branches of this business. There's a furnace making company that takes powder metal and actually makes it into a hard dense piece. Then we have a separate business, which does all the metallurgical services. So, Process engineering, you know, if you're not getting the parts out the way they need to, if they're not meeting their densities or whatever, there's ways we can support that. And then, like you mentioned, I have a wood shop uh, that I started 
when everybody had free time during the early days of COVID and we didn't know how long that was going to go. So I uh, took what was a hobby of mine, a therapeutic hobby and found a way to monetize that, you know, for the greater good of the world. And my main products are like what you see behind me, good old, you know, old glory, um, typically made in a variety of different woods and, you know, a different level of projects I get involved in two tables, storefront signs and so forth. So um, I've been in and out of this business since I was 14 years old with my, with my dad. Um, second generation taking the business over here. It is a, it was an interesting journey. Uh, there's plenty we can talk about that. And I think there's a lot I can offer people uh, when it comes to being a second generation in a business. Um, because you always go through those dates and those not dates, but you go through that phase where like, you know, do the people and the team, the team respect me? Are they going to like me? If I'm going to take this over, like, how's this going to work? Um, and honestly, the way I approached it was the same exact way anybody else should approach it. If you're not part of a family business is you just work your ass off and you show every single person that you, you care more than the next guy. You're going to do all the work that's required. You're going to be here early. You're going to leave late. You're going to work. Like I said, you're going to work your ass off and get everything done the way you need to. So lots of cool learnings along the way. And uh, definitely a lot of button heads with my dad along the way too, uh, which uh, I think, you know, iron sharpens iron at the end of the day. So we all became better out of the, out of the, out of the gate with that. But uh, it took, it took some years to get used to each other's styles a little bit, especially since I was moving up in the ranks of the business and got to a point where I took over most of the operations of the company before I'm in the, the current role that I'm in. So yeah. yeah, it's been a fun journey. Learned a lot. Lived in Germany for six months, went to school in Delaware, uh, took about five years in the middle of working in this business and uh, worked in planning for finances for Ameriprise Financial for about five years. And um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about what makes them tick, what makes them get up and go to work and all the different things about that. You know, the good, the bad. I had clients from 91 to or 21 to 91. So I saw all these different aspects of life um, and the things that made, you know, that were important to people and had had conversations around literally the, sometimes the most important thing in people's lives, the income they make to make the decisions that they want to do for themselves, for their family and everything else. So um, I came back to the business when I was 27 and then worked my way through it. But I brought a lot of knowledge from the finance industry that's helped the company get to where we are today, because before we were just a working capital account business. Now we have savings, we have lines of credits, we have, you know, good working capital business accounts and a number of different structures and things in place to help the company, you know, survive, you know, downturns and, you know, be safe and have all the liability insurance that we need to have and so forth. So I learned a lot there and brought it back. And I think just to kind of close this out, I think if I really stem where I learned a lot of my people management skills for, it came from that because I was working with people as an independent advisor, you're working with people and having emotional conversations about things that are important to them. Mm -hmm. And it's not just their money, it's estate planning, it's life insurance, it's, you know, we don't write the wills, but what do we need to put in the wills? So it's having those hard conversations and helping people get things kind of moving down the line. Um, I think it's really helped me in, in moving through the different roles that I've been in here and leaving the people I have on my team. So, so what brought you back to the company then? If you were, you were outside, what brought you back into the, into the company? Yeah. So when I was 18, um, I was young as most people are at 18 and, yeah. you know, full of it thinking of myself that I could do things my way. And I, uh, you know, the world was, was, you know, manufacturing wasn't the coolest thing in the world anymore. Finances was cool. So I was like, you know what, Pop, you work like 70 hours a week. This is crazy. I don't want to do that. I want to do it my way, right? So I went to school, studied finance and economics. Then I came back um, after school and I lived at home for a couple of years and I took a job in manufacturing. 
sorry, not manufacturing. I took a job in financial planning. And all of a sudden I started to go to work before dad and I started to come home work after dad. And I was not earning anywhere near the same amount of money. Right. But obviously it takes time to get to a state. You got to put your energy into it. But honestly, um, I kind of lost interest in the finance side of the world. And I wasn't, while I studied, you know, business administration and finance and economics, I've always been the person to think about things. Why are they working? Right. Like if a clock's going tick tock, tick tock, I'm like, okay, well, why? What's what gears turning? What's moving? What's this doing? What's that doing? So I've I've always had this technical side of my brain. So I wasn't using that. I wasn't itching that, you know. So I needed to get back to doing that. So I sat down with my dad in in 2007. And I was like, hey, I think I need a change. I think I need to do something different. Do you think there's a chance that you know I can come back into the business and help continue this forward? Because at that time, actually. After I told him I was going to do it my way, he actually went out, got a business partner, had a whole plan in place to have the business sold off, and then he would leave. But then I think when I came back and offered the idea of coming back into the business, I think his eyes lit up and he got all excited because there was a legacy continuation of the business. And you know, when I look at it now, is I I know he's he's eighty two, right? Uh, he would still work if if he wanted to and so forth, but he's pretty much retired these days. Yeah, but. Uh, I know that he's super excited about the continuation of the business and it's not in someone else's hands now. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm, I'm sure he's super excited about that. Um, but now yeah, you're this, you're the kid. Yeah. That brings you back in. I know you said you got to work harder than everybody else, but there's still that first day and there's that first yeah. week. How did the other how did the rest of the team, I guess, accept you back in uh when you first came back? Great question. So some of the people I knew, right, since I was little. So some of the guys saw me come in and they're like, oh, cool, extra set of hands. You know, he's going to help us. He's going to do some stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other people that I didn't know, they were like, oh, cool, here comes the owner's son, right? Here comes the owner's son. I've seen this story before, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I didn't want to it's actually I have a funny story. So when I was 32, I was five years back in the business. Uh, like I said, I worked in finance, so I understood how to save money, how to put money away, how to be smart with my money. My first car was a Mustang. And oh. uh, I, there's a great story about that with my dad, but I'll save that for another time. Yeah. But I've always, when I gave it up after school and I got a, I got into other cars and so forth, I always wanted to have another Mustang before I was dead. So when I was in my 30s, I was sitting there saying, I was like, man, I really, like I have the resources. I can afford to buy this thing. I wasn't married. I don't have kids and so forth at the time. I was like, I'm going to go look for a car, right? Versus I don't want to be 50, 60 years old and everybody questioning me whether I have some kind of midlife crisis. Like I want, I want to enjoy this now. I don't know if I'm going to live to that time. Yeah. Went out and I bought myself a Mustang and I went for the Mustang that I wanted when I was 17, but I couldn't get it because it was way too much car and so forth. But I went out and bought a Shelby Cobra and it's, you know, been a dream car of mine. I've had it, you know, for the last seven, eight years now. I didn't drive it to work for the first three years. I wouldn't want anybody here to see it because I always had the impression that everybody looked at me and it's like, oh, look, the owner's son's milking the company, milking the company, milking the company, right? Yeah. Which happens so much and actually truly does happen by second generation people. So for me is like, I just worked my ass off. I looked, I, I came in as like a sales and contracts admin. So I was like the liaison between the customer and the, in the shop, right? So I was like making sure things were coordinated properly and so forth. And then as I saw an area of the business that needed help, I would be like, hey, how can I help here? Right. So shipping was having issues. I've never shipped anything in my life. I just dove in, figured out what the processes were, talked to people in the industry, figured out what we needed to build as process steps. And I built some procedures and so forth. And now we have a good shipping system in our business. 
fixed all that. Then, and this is what kind of catapulted me through the different areas, which I think added to the ability for me to demonstrate to people that I'm actually here for them. Mm-hmm. For me, our field service manager left. Um, well, he didn't leave. His wife took a job in California and he was a good technician, great with the customers and so forth. So we kept him on board, but just as a service technician who worked out of a different location. So now we were down a field service manager and the team was all looking around. They're like, who are we going to have take over this role? And I'm sitting there and be like, I'll do it. You know, I know how to work people. I know how to help build schedules, set priorities and all that stuff, because I had to do that every day in financial planning. And I've always been a planner in my life. Like that's the kind of person I am. So I was like, I'll take it. So I sat with our team. I met those guys. And, you know, initially they were like, ah, cool here. We got this guy, but at least we don't have to be the manager of the department, I think was their theory to it. So I literally just came in and I was like, all right, this is what we got to do this week. What do you guys need? What are we prepping for next week? What's the next trip coming up? And I would just take their, some of their responsibilities away and I would do them for them. And I would show that I'm here for you, right? I'm here working for you. Obviously we as a business need to do things, but I'm here working for you. What do you need from me to do the job you need? And the other thing that made me build a really good reputation with those guys is while they're in the field, they need help from someone in the shop and they could be halfway across the world and they need help. I told these guys all the time, call me anytime. I don't care what time of day it is. Even if it's a middle night, if I'm not sleeping through the phone call, I'll pick it up and I'll tackle and try to do what I can do for you. So that happened a couple of times and I really built a better rapport with those guys you know, as that went through and then 08, 09 came through the world, the financial crisis took play and our company went from like $8 million in revenue to 4 million, which Mm. was a big hit, right? Huge. And my dad in the spirit of who he is as an entrepreneur was like, listen, I'm going to go out and find whatever work I can. Even if we get like just barely break even on it, I'm okay with that because that's going to feed my team and I want to keep my team here. Mm -hmm. So we shifted some things around. We found jobs we could. And then the shop manager uh, was kind of not combative, but like, let's say pushing against my dad, be like, oh, we're not going to make money on that kind of work. You shouldn't yeah. get that work in house. So he kind of worked himself out of the business. So now we had an opening for running the shop. Everybody looked around. They're like, who's going to run the shop? What are we going to do? Nobody was ready to step up from the back. I was like, I can do it. Right. So again, <laughs> I put myself in a situation mm-hmm. where I didn't really know everything that needed to be done sure. other than there's guys on the shop floor. They got to build equipment. They need help. They need prioritization. They need decision-making and they need to be safe. I can do that stuff. Yeah. I don't need to know how to weld. I don't need to know how to run wires. I don't need to know how to do all that stuff. I just need to be there for them. Yeah. They're the experts. I'm just the guy quarterback and facilitating the process. Mm-hmm. So every time I stepped up into a new role, I very quickly was starting to work for my team. And I think that's one of the biggest you know, issues I see a lot of people have, no matter whether it's a family business type of situation or anybody moving into a leadership role, a lot of people like to take management and leadership roles for the title. I could care yeah. less of the titles. If I don't have to carry a business card on me for the rest of my life, I'm good. Like when we get new guys in the team and we got to creatively think new titles for them, I'm like, do we really need a title? Like it doesn't, like title shouldn't matter. Sure. What you do and how you act. And obviously there's a focus, what your, what your area of expertise is. But I've never been a title guy. So I was never the guy be like, I'm your manager. I'm this guy. I'm this guy. I'm like, what do you need from me? How can I make your day better? How can I help you with your process? Are you thinking about this? Are you thinking about that? So my planning mindset has always been super helpful to work through the business. And it's given me the ability to build this reputation with all the guys in the shop floor really well. And then it moved me into 
a chance to go to Germany to work with a customer of ours to learn all that really fun science stuff that happens before our equipment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I came back and I was doing all the operations as as GM of the business. You know, and I did everything from you know running the service team to the shop team to the quality team to the engineering team, you know, to the front office team. It was all under me. So yeah. I gained so much insight into how it all works. And I've done pretty much everybody else's job as I've grown through the business since I was a little kid. So that's given me this ability to, to have a conversation with somebody who needs to do something in the business, but I know what they're doing. Sure. Not what I think they should do. I know what they're doing and I know the challenges of doing it. So it gives me the ability to have a conversation with them at a different, different level. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In, in, a, in a respect level of, I get it, what you have to do. And I know it's mm -hmm. going to be hard, but this is what we have to accomplish. So let's figure out the path. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that's super interesting. Um, a lot of people, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of people that were, I guess, whose fathers or, or parents ran a business started at the top. So they weren't able to uh, have a real relationship with everybody throughout the company, right? Because I mean, as let's say I'm a lower, I'm a, I don't want to say a lower guy, but I'm a guy on the floor, right? I'm a guy in the field, frontline guy. You don't know shit about what I'm doing. How would you ever tell me about what I'm doing? But you, you did it. And one thing I think is super interesting is you said yes, right? And every level you've said yes. So yeah. I think it's super intimidating when you're maybe on the floor and they're like, hey, we got a position open. That guy that had the position, dude, that guy was really smart. There's no way I could take his job, right? I'm not, I'm not that good enough. But you did. You said yes. You said, yep, I'm actually going to do it, and, I, and and I'll jump in. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. And 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 then the next position came open. You did the exact same thing. I'm, you know, and, and as a father, I'm sure you made your dad like pretty damn proud to see his kid jumping up and saying yes every time, uh, even though he knew you didn't know how to do the job. He's like, right. ah, that's great. That's, that's awesome. So he made a good decision, you know, kind of without a doubt. And I think back. a lot of that's come from, I've, I've put, I've been captains of, you know, sports teams in my past and so forth. So I've always had to be in, and I've been in a leadership role throughout my life growing up. So it's kind of, it, it's uncomfortable to be a leader, yeah. but you can have and find comfort in having the ability to be in that role. Like I find I'm I'm super grateful, especially over the last couple of years with the way the world's been and all the decisions we've had to make as business owners. I'm super grateful that I was in the ability to be in that spot to allow us as a company and as a team to make decisions together versus being told what to do all day long. Yeah. So I brought this theory of let's do this as a team. I've always been a team guy, right? So like if you go through the six human needs, I'm big in contribution. I love doing things together as a group. I'll do them as myself if I have to, but I love that that feeling of accomplishing things as a group. So I've always brought that into every single role I've had. And even times I've been asked to be a captain of teams in the past, while I kind of wanted the role, like even moving through some of the business roles that I've had here, I didn't specifically want those specific roles, but I knew going into that role was going to make me a better person. It's going to give me more insight into the business. And I need to know that for when I'm in the role that I'm in today. Yeah. And yeah, it I gives me that ability to have and I've even been told by some of the guys here, like I'm one of the more engaging presidents and owners of a company than they've seen in some of their work in the past. Like there was, it's a funny story, probably three years ago, we had a welder on the shop floor working on some equipment right next to a furnace that I, it was a Saturday morning and there was a chamber door that's on these furnaces. It's a pressed piece of stainless steel. And it's like, it's really nice looking, it's polished and so forth as best it can be. But we had an older furnace that was getting refurbished and the door didn't look that good. 
and it was had some scratches on it and all that stuff. And back when I was like 17 years old, one of the jobs they gave me was sanding these doors down and making them look nice. So I'm walking the shop like I do all the time. And I always look at the equipment that's going out the door because this is half a million to a million dollar piece of equipment. This is this is a Ferrari of, of the industry kind of thing. So I want to make sure it looks as good as it works. So I'm out there. I put a couple masks on a glass. I put, you know, a, a grinding helmet on and so forth, just so I don't get dust back in my face. And I'm sitting there cleaning the door and I'm making this thing look as good as possible. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden this, this newer welder comes up behind me and we've forged a good relationship with each other. And I'm, I go, Hey John, what's going on? And he goes, Stefan, you, I'm like, yeah, man, what's up, man? How are you doing? He goes, what, what are you doing out here on the floor? I'm like, I'm cleaning the door. And he's like, in 20 years of me working, I've never had the president of a company on the shop floor doing work. I'm like, well, that's just how we do it around here. We do it different. I don't think many people have. Yeah, it's just, I do it different, man. Like, I don't like sitting in my office all the time. I want to go turn wrenches with these guys for two reasons. One, I like it. And two, it builds a reputation and a relationship with the guys that one day you might have to go out there and be like, hey, I need you to do something for me pretty quick. Yeah. Can you help me out? Yeah. And if it takes you ownership. You're willing too. to do it. They'll do it with you. Yeah, it's it's, it's extreme ownership of, yeah. of of the company you work for. Whether you're the president or you're the you know the first week guy out there, you know you take ownership of it. Um, like it's it is yours now. It is, but uh, you know initially it wasn't right. So yeah. you you took a, you know extreme ownership of it. Real quick, explain to us because I know anybody who's listening to this is like, okay, what the hell does this guy do? <laughs> the hell is he talking about okay we got factories we got furnaces that are like a ferrari of the industry like what are we yeah. talking about here all right give us a like a, a third grade de- uh, explanation because you're talking to guys like me so give it a third grade explanation as to what it is you guys do sure uh so outside of the wood shop stuff which yeah. you know it's a lot of we'll get into that in a second personal life stuff um so what we make is is what's called a furnace. It's called a debind and center furnace. So it's not what you have in your house. While I certainly can help fix your furnaces at your house, I'm, that's not what my business is. So we're not the train and the carrier and all those other guys, right? So what our furnace does is it takes a molded or 3D printed piece of metal and at the end of the day, hardens and densifies it. So in the injection molding world, like you would mold plastic, you can mold metal powder, but you can't just mold the metal powder because if you open the mold, the powder falls out. You need something to actually hold the powder together. So you mix it with plastic and wax and then you mold it. So now you have your piece. It looks you know, similar to what a plastic molded piece would look like, but you're not done there, right? You need to get all that plastic and wax away and fuse the metal together. So the analogy I always like talking about is, is um, kind of like sitting by a bonfire. You've got a you know wet log that you want to dry out. You put it next to the fire. And at some point when that log gets warm enough, water vapor starts to create a smoke look coming out of the lock. That's what's called in my industry debinding. I'm doing the same thing with my metal piece. I'm heating it up where the plastic becomes a vapor and it comes off the surface of the part. And then in our furnaces, we're always sweeping this gas across the product to pull that stuff away. And then once that step is done, we're going almost to the melting point of the metal. So... The analogy I like to use is two droplets of water on a table sitting right next to each other. If they're close enough, they'll bond and become one drop of water. I'm doing the same thing ultimately with metal powder, but I don't want to go full liquid because if I go full liquid, the part's going to basically become a puddle in the furnace, right? So I just want the skin of each little piece of metal powder to get soft and it grabs the one next to it, grabs the one next to it. And in that process, it's densifying 
And now you have a piece that's 98, 99% dense. It's like starting with a raw block of metal and machining away everything to the final shape. But now you don't have any waste. It's a net shape technology. So as you mold it, the plastic and wax comes away. And in the process of becoming hard, dense metal, it's actually shrinking because all that plastic and wax was a void that you now are shrinking that part down. And now you have your finished piece and it could be a watch on your wrist. It could be if anybody wears Oakley's or Ray-Bans, the metal O on an Oakley is actually processed in my furnace. If you have aviators from, from Ray-Ban, the little hinges on the side where the wire frame and the earpiece meet, that little hinge is made in my furnace. If you've recently had a hip replaced, the, one of the companies that makes hips or knees uses our furnace for that. Um, it could be plane parts, automotive parts. If you shoot guns, there's a there's a very high chance that one of the parts of the guns were made in our furnace. If you like companies like Glock or Kimber or Taurus or Sig Sauer or any yeah. one of those, or if you've had dental brackets, your braces on your teeth, in the last 15 years, there's an 85% chance they came through our furnace. Wow. Okay. See, I told you guys, this guy's super smart. I, mean, <laughs> I told you it wasn't going to be like, like this, this is some smart guy shit. So anytime you like, you're looking around and you're like, who, what who makes this stuff? Right. Like, like the Ray-Ban sunglasses, yep. um, like just the little pieces who makes this stuff. And it's, so, that's so interesting. So your furnace makes it. So you personally aren't making Ray-Ban sunglasses, right? You're developing the furnace to, to get to, to develop these products. Is that right? Right. So the customer's molding or printing those parts, depending on the technology they use. And then they use our furnace to actually turn it into a hard, dense piece of metal. And then they're either polishing it or, you know, any really, really tight tolerances and so forth. They might machine those later, but it's just a skim coat versus hogging a whole bunch of material away. So you're, you're getting a shape that you probably can't make another way, or it's way too expensive to make another way. And then you're finishing it however you need to finish it. And any any pair of eyeglasses that have some form of a metal hinge between the earpiece and the frame, more often than not, that piece is injection molded metal. No kidding. It's so many. It's so funny. I talked to. I mean, when I was younger, especially, you talk to these big guys. You're like, you know what? That little hinge there. Whoever made that, I bet that guy's super rich. I bet that's making the <laughs> making Velcro. The things that you don't think about, right? These little yeah. parts of things that we use every day. That's what you're building and they're uh, making. And that's awesome. So, okay, you you have this uh, a furnace. How how many furnaces are we talking that you guys have, have, have put together? Yeah, so on average, prior to 2020, we've shipped anywhere between eight and 12 a year. Okay. Um, and those were pretty good years for us. Some years we had four to six, some years we had seven. And then we had some other ancillary, smaller pieces of equipment we've done. In the last three years, we've shipped over 17 a year. Okay. So we've gone from what was almost nine and a half million to almost 19 million in business in the last three years. It's been a hell of a growth. Okay. You you got this great product, right? You got this, this, this thing is flipping amazing, right? How are you getting the clients? I mean, especially initially, like how are you out there marketing yourself, marketing your company saying, Hey, I can make, you know, parts. I can make all these, 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 these little parts of, of sunglasses, of guns, of all this. How are you marketing that? That's a great question. And it's probably one of the more, let's call it unique, challenging marketing things to market because it's super low volume. Mm -hmm. And I can't just sell it to you if you don't need it. Or if you already have a furnace in house and you're getting okay product, 
you're not just going to go replace it with a new one unless either you're growing or the old one is costing you more than it's benefiting you. So um, the the best way we've marketed our technology is one is we've gotten really good relationships with all the people that make the printer or molding machines that need a furnace to finish the product after it's molded or printed. So we've got great relationships with them. They recommend us to people. But the way we forge that relationship is actually through our sister business called DSH. So DSH stands for Debine Center Heat Treat. And what that company does is we have all of our equipment in-house and we use that equipment to demonstrate how it works, do small lot work for people that might not want to buy the furnace yet because it's too big of an investment versus the amount of product they're selling. We do experiments on new material, experiments on designs, and we also get involved in the process of the engineering of everything that takes place, right? So from the time you design a product or what you're thinking of designing to the way you're shipping it out your door, I can help with every single part of that process chain. Not just from myself because of the things I've seen all of our customers do, but some of the guys that I've added to our team here who I've known in the industry for a long time come from part making companies. So now, you know, they used to make parts all day long. They've gone through all the trials and tribulations and struggles and challenges of making things. Now they're out, instead of doing that at one business, they have an opportunity to do this at multiple businesses across the world. So what we've done is we've built up, and this is truly the way we market our technology. We market it by educating people about the process and by educating people about the process and knowing how there's so many different types of furnaces out there, ours being the most flexible let's call it the Ferrari of the technology because you can do so many different metals and so many different atmospheres where all these other furnaces have some variables that make it harder to do that. People start to realize the capability of what one furnace can do versus another. And we're just opening the doors for people to see all the different things through the full size, you know, let's say full size glasses so they can see everything. There's no blinders on. So they see everything and they just make their choices based on the options that they want to have. And then the truth, the way we actually, like my favorite way to sell it, and I've done this many times is we've gone heads up against some other furnace companies. What I tell companies is like, give me as many parts as I can use to fill up a furnace. I don't care if it's a hundred or 10,000, right? Depends on your size. I'm going to run them for you. I'm not going to charge you. You're going to take them back and you're going to look at the quality of all the parts, front, back, middle, all over this furnace. And then compare that to what you get from some of these other guys and let that help make your decision for you. Nine times out of 10, I'd say 9.9 times out of 10, that works. Okay. Wow. So So you're actually going out there presenting then, correct? We go out, we go to workshops, we present, we talk to people. I do a lot of LinkedIn marketing myself. So for me, like I said, education to me is my sales approach. So Um, I haven't done it for the last seven, eight months because we're redirecting the way we want this marketing plan to go. But for the prior two years, I did something called Metal Monday posts on LinkedIn. Every Monday I would make a post and that post would be something about the process, whether it's how to extract the plastic, how to maintain equipment, anything that had to do with the whole process chain, I would take one little snip of that process and I would make a post about it. Then next Monday I would do something similar or I would theme the month. Like how do we get plastic out of the parts? What's all the things you got to think about? Every week there was a new theme or a new topic around that monthly theme. So that's additionally ways that we're doing that. Being at trade shows, being in front of people is also the other ways that we do that. But it's it's truly just going over and above to help people. 
yeah. over and above to help people going out of your way, even if it costs you a little bit of money, because it's going to eventually come to you on the backside when you sell your product. Um, or it's going to give you an opportunity to sell your product that you didn't have before. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That that's really cool. I was, I was kind of curious as to how you, I mean, you can't really make a bunch of TikTok. I guess you could make a bunch of like TikTok videos about your furnace and, uh, but I mean, who you're getting to the right people, I would imagine is, is incredibly like, it's very niche. It's very specific. Yeah. Link, LinkedIn is more my portal for selling things from like a social media point of view where like Facebook, link, Instagram, TikTok, that I don't have an audience that needs that level of volume. Like we get calls, I get calls specifically from people all the time. It's like, Hey, my name's, you know, so-and-so from XYZ company. I can put you in front of 10,000 leads. Are you interested? It's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) no, maybe, maybe one of those people would want something we do. So I always, it's funny because I actually use those moments when I have enough time, like four or five minutes, I'll actually talk to that person and be like, listen, if you're going to call somebody out of the blue and you're going to offer all these access to leads, like do a little bit of due diligence on what they do before you do that, because that theory doesn't apply to everybody. Yeah. Right. You got to, you like, I forgot who said this recently. I think it was, I think it was on one of one of Ed's podcasts, either the one he had with Stephen A. Smith or somebody else recently, but he was talking about preparation like 20 minutes of preparation before you make a phone call to somebody or get involved in a, in a call or a podcast or whatever you're going to do a meeting that 20 minutes of time will be light years of benefit for you versus coming in cold. Yeah. So it's like, if you're going to go make a sales call about your marketing approach, like just take a couple minutes, go to the webpage, know who you're calling, look at their LinkedIn page. Like LinkedIn is today's resume. Anybody who's not using LinkedIn in today's world, especially people that are looking for jobs and so forth, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to give a professional sense, show what things you like and that you follow. And then what you like or post about tells a lot about who you are. Yeah. Are you an educator? Do you follow these kinds of things? Do we have something that we have in common? LinkedIn is today's resume. Anybody who just hands a paper resume to people today is it's old school. Behind the eight ball. Yeah. And and, and I think it's interesting too. You're, you're um, <clears throat> we met through a guy named Patrick Robertson, right? Cause we're both in a group called Arte. Crazy enough, I never get people from Arte on this podcast. Um, and so so I, I think it's very interesting that you're niche, you are marketing, I see you're networking with a very niche group of people too. Mm-hmm. And what I would advise to a new person or a person looking to get into the, the business world is to jump into a group like that because you're going to learn about people like like you, right? Um, and, and you're going to meet people that are are it's not like throwing your name out there. And like you said, with a big, huge resume and saying, you know, this is who I am, everybody, you know, what should I do? What, what business should I join? Um, like what you did with your sales and with your, your networking as you joined a specific group full of specific people who could probably benefit you uh, and your business. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so we we, as a company, like we go to trade shows for, for two reasons. One, to see all the customers we have or potentially meet new ones. But two, in our industry, if you don't show up to a trade show, people might think you're out of business. Wow. So like it, it's that side There's of the market. There's a few people in the industry that we know, yes. you notice when that guy's missing. Yeah. You know, there's okay. been other, you know, some of our competitors, you know, in the last couple of years, we haven't seen them. Now that could be COVID related or, you know, maybe I'm killing it in sales and they're not. And that's why they're not there. Who knows? <laughs> they didn't want uh, to show up, man. They, they <laughs> just didn't want to stand next to you. 
Yeah, man, it's true. And, and you know, for anybody, it doesn't matter what business you're in, like yeah. get involved with people that are in your specific industry or network or whatever it is. And don't walk in and be like, I'm here now. Everybody give me what I need or what I deserve. It's like, you don't deserve shit, exactly. right? Like you deserve what you get after you've earned it. You got to put the time in to earn it. And that's through just walking up to somebody and having a conversation. You're like, hey, how are you? My name is XYZ. This is what I do for a living. What do you do? You know, and just getting to know people, it's the, I, it's funny. So a group of our friends from from Arte recently did an event called Evolve, right? Mm -hmm. Unofficial Arte event, but they did it. And when I told all the guys that were guides there, because they're all friends of mine, and I called them before, I was like, I just want to let you guys know something. Really proud of you. I'm really excited for you guys to be part of this group and to be leaders in this group and to act as guides. But the best part of what you're getting involved in is the thing you do not know. It's the unknown of the conversation. The unknown of that conversation is usually where the good comes out of. Yeah. And it's the things you learn the most. So be excited about the unknown. Be excited about the conversation that you haven't had yet because it could be the thing that changes your life, changes your business, changes everything. The unknown is okay. The unknown is actually great. That's so interesting. That, that, that's because a lot of people go into something afraid of the unknown, right? Because, right. you know, they, they've grown up and, and every, everything new and scary, you know, they, they avoid it. They just stay away from it. But yeah. you're right. When you go in and you, it's, it's what you learn. It's, it's the, it's the material you're learning, right. Is the unknown. Um, and or it's the conversation you have, like, let's just say it's me and you, right. You're, yeah. you're in the, in the real estate business. Let's say I'm in the real estate business. I walk up and say, PJ, Hey, how you doing? I'm Stefan. It's nice to meet you. You know, I get involved in commercial real estate. What do you get involved in? This is what I do. Right. Um, the conversation might be done right there. There might not be anything else to talk about, but now, you know, Hey, this is Stefan. He does commercial real estate. In three days from now, you could have a project in the area that I live in that's involved in commercial real estate. And, oh, hey, Stefan does commercial real estate in that town. Maybe I should link him up to that. So it's going with the expectation of purely meeting people yeah. and opening conversation without trying to take. The take will come just by people knowing who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, too. I was thinking about this on the way I, I, I drove back in from the gym today and I was, I was thinking about this exact thing. When I was in, let's say, high school, um, mm -hmm. I remember the guys, the class president, the quarterback of the football team. I played sports. I was on I was on the teams. Right. You know, sometimes I, I, I was in the games, but, you know, I was on the teams. The the higher up guys, I was always somewhat intimidated by them. Right. So we just mm -hmm. avoid it. We just wouldn't talk to them. You know, the kids that got straight A's, the smartest kids in school just didn't talk to them because I was like, ah, he's not going to want to talk to me. You know, he's, I'm an idiot. Right. So. That's, that's kind that's of what we're, way. yeah. Now, now as, as what we're trying to tell you now is go talk to that guy, go talk to that person. You're going to learn something from them. And they're usually not as, um, I don't know, they usually want to talk to you as well. Like, like the big guys in, in real estate, at least when I go up and talk to them, I'm like shocked at how much they just want to tell you stuff. Right. They're like, mm -hmm. you know, here's what I do. Here's, oh my gosh. Yeah. Then here's what I'm doing next. You know, and then they're like interested in you. You know, go out there and talk to those people and meet those people. And you're going to be surprised at what comes of it. And it's okay if the conversation is short. It's okay if it gets awkward. It's okay if it's, hey, this is what I do. That's what you do. Oh, cool. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't really have many hobbies. Oh, okay, cool. See ya. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. At least you've taken one step, one rep at introducing yourself. That's Absolutely. huge. Absolutely. You do a lot of interesting things, Stefan. So now, not just metal. Yeah. Like right behind you, there's a, uh, a an American flag. Um, it's made of wood, and 
out of nowhere, you were just like, I'm going to start doing this. So kind of explain like uh, what got you started in, in woodworking. Yeah. So uh, it's funny. I can correlate both things back to my dad. So my dad got me started in this business, right? When I was a little kid, because he gave all his kids, he's got four kids, two from a first marriage. Then there's me and my sister. He gave all the kids an opportunity to put some money on the table and he'll match it. And you can get a car with that money, right? He'll match you on it. None of the girls took him up on it. I was the one who worked my ass off from 14 to 17, saved up seven and a half thousand bucks and put that on the table and he's like, oh shit, I almost, I almost <laughs> made it. I almost made it. So he had to match it. And I got myself a Mustang as my first car. And I was super excited about that. Right. So he got me involved in this. And when I was a real little kid, probably like 10, 11 years old, um, in middle school, they had a Saturday morning workshop. And that workshop was a wood workshop. And my dad actually taught that class. So we made little wooden sailboats, little, you know, toolboxes and little birdhouses. And he showed kids how to use table saws and band saws and sanding wheels and all that stuff. So it's always been an interest of mine to try to make things. Um, so, and I do this all the time. If I can make it and I have the time, and the energy and the equipment, I'll make it first before I go buy it. Because I find a lot of pride and actually like, like right now today, I'm sitting on a four foot by seven foot black walnut waterfall table. That was the first time I've ever made a waterfall table and it turned out beautiful, but it's the first time I've ever done that. And I'm working on it every single day. And it's, there's, there's that little extra when I do my work here, right? Yeah. Because it's not a table I bought, it's a table I made. Yeah. So it's, it really gets me excited. So what started this whole wood shop business was, um, it was right in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, my mother had a, uh, a pallet flag back home. So every, you guys have probably seen this at people's houses. They lean a pallet up against a tree outside their property and it's got an American flag on it or what is relatively close to an American flag. <laughs> it's got eight so stars on it, but it's still an American flag. Yeah. You know, one's leaning, one of the pallets <laughs> kind of bent down and stuff. It looks a little sad, but it's still flag. Yeah. So my mom had one of those at the house and it was kind of just wearing down over, over the years from the weather. So I was like, I'm going to make her all the parts. She's home. It's COVID time. Like there's nothing to do. I'm going to let her paint all this. So it grew from, I'm just going to cut these parts and make it for to finding a, an Excel spreadsheet that gives you specific dimensions based on one characteristic. So whether it's the X, the Y, the star size, the union size, it gives you all the other dimensions to it. So I was like, oh, so there is a precise, which I believe there was, right? Because it's an American flag. I would imagine they put a lot of time and energy into how they design it. I'm sure so every single thing about the flag, the width, the length, the short, the long, the union size, the star size, and everything has a specific dimension based on one factor. So I, I ran with that. I was like, all right, I'm just going to cut all the parts for it. So I was looking around online and seeing all these different flags. It's like, oh, people do some mitering of the edges. They do this. They do that. People stain them. Oh, they burn them. Oh, you, when you burn it, you can bring the character out. And I started learning all this stuff about how to make these flags. So I was like, forget it. I'm just going to make it because they were getting their house redone. I was going to make it a housewarming gift. Yeah. So I made the first one and I, you know, I put all my time and energy into it. And I sat there and I was looking into my garage. I was like, I really don't want to give this to them. I really like it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll make yeah. a second one for them because I really want this first one. And I was like, boom, light went off. I was like, if I like it so much, other people probably will like it just as much as I do. And there's plenty of people that make flags all across the world, right? Yeah. All over the place. Each one of them are slightly unique. Some are just thrown together. Some are burned after they stain them. Some are burnt before they stain them. Like there's a lot of difference in variables to it. So I came up with a way to make it that is... I believe super artistic in a way 
It's got an automotive clear coat on it. So it has this kind of shinier finish to it. It can be satin if you need it. And I just ran down this road of making this flag and I gifted it to them and they were super, super excited to have it. And I was like, all right, cool. I told a friend about it. She goes, I want one. So I was like, now it just grew. I was like, I can either just do this on the side and have people Venmo me. But yeah, then I was about to action. say, it's a lot of time like, involved in this too. You know, and, and again, beginning of COVID, nobody knew how long the world was going to be in the state it was. I was like, let's just make a business out of this. If it goes well, it goes well. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It is what it is. You got to take a chance. Absolutely. So I ended up making a you know business out of it and I called it SJ Woodco. And uh, I've made, oh my God, I think 60 flags by now, four different side projects, a shadow box. I just made a huge five by five uh, entry storefront signage for a really, really cool project. One of our Arte brothers is doing out in Michigan. Um, like I said, I made my table. I made a uh, reception slash uh, work desk for a, my sister and her business partner who just opened up a dog uh, training business. It's big, beautiful seven foot live edge, black walnut, shiplap sides, black walnut tabletop. So, um, and this is just a side hustle. This is like business number four that I run. Yeah. Yeah. You're a busy dude, man. That's not easy yeah. either. That That's, I mean, I can't even, like I was telling you earlier, I got to, put things together in my, in my garage. And it, if I, if I, if I hit a hammer against a nail and I'm hitting it a few times, I look around, I'm like, this looks like complete shit. So I just find <laughs> someone to do it for me. I find guys like you know, do, to there's do it for me. Construction. So yeah. There's construction and then there's carpentry, right? I've always yes. tended, I, I like construction. It's fun, but I've always tended more towards carpentry because right. there's that artwork in it. Like I don't really classify myself as an artist, although maybe I should nowadays with what yeah, I'm making. but. I really enjoy that whole thing to it. Like cutting wood, like the burning process, like the speed you burn it at yeah. takes the different character of the different grains of the wood. Like that's therapy for me, man. That's mm -hmm. truly why I do it. Like it's the process of thinking through what's needed, cut, 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 fabricate, put together. Now it's a bracket or I've made a bed. I've made like all kinds of different things. Like my first bed I had in my house when I moved to my house when I was 27 was a bed I made. Wow. And just, I mean, it's not like a, you know, like a, like a sleigh bed or anything fancier. It was just like yeah, a right? platform style bed. It's but the mattress. It you put cool. the nice mattress on, on the bed. So yeah. It doesn't really matter. That's really the only thing that matters at the end right? of the day is how comfy the bed is. That's right. I can imagine a lot of like fire departments, police departments, um, any government agency would love to have something like that. Oh yeah. There's, there's a couple of guys. Uh, there's a guy that's in New Jersey. Uh, his company is called Veteran Woodco. Uh, this dude is, I follow him all day long. He makes such cool stuff. He's got a beautiful big CNC table, you know, in his, uh, in his shop garage that he does. It's his full-time business. So if this were me switching businesses, I would put full effort and focus. Like I don't sell anything on Etsy. I don't do any kind of side, you know, website, Shopify kind of approach. This is all word of mouth, me selling these projects and a couple of posts here and there on Instagram. And, uh, you know, it's done okay. I mean, it's, again, it's not, it's not the moneymaker right now and it's, yeah. It's a time filler. It's it's something I do for fun. Would you ever uh, think of doing something like that, like marketing it a little more, pushing it a little little harder? I would like to. So you know, we're in the process right now. Our our manufacturing business for the equipment, the industrial furnaces, has done really really well over the last few years, and we need to grow. We're going to be moving from New Jersey down to down to North Carolina over the summer. Hopefully, hopefully there's no more delays in the project build out because it's a new building. But uh, once we get down there, we're going to have a lot of extra space because everybody always told me that's moved into new plants that uh, you outgrow it quick. So we got a little bit extra space and going down there, it made sense because it's half the rent rate down there than it is up here. Warmer too, a lot warmer. 
Yeah. Well, for me, I'm a winter guy, so I'm sacrificing that part of my personal life. I like to go run to the mountains in the snow, and we got snow coming here today right now, which is really wow. nice. But that's for the team, right? I'm sacrificing. I picked that location for the whole team, and you know, there's a lot of greatness that's going to come from those. We got a little bit more than half our team joining us in the move, which is really, really cool. Um, but we got a lot of extra space down there. So SJ Woodco is going to form a little home down there. We're going to get some more equipment and, uh, I would love to get a, you know, a younger apprentice in there to start doing some work on the side. I'll work on some projects too. And if I can get myself to continue to build Elnick the way it's doing, where I don't need to be as daily involved and I can dedicate some time towards SJ Woodco, that would be a dream of mine to do. I, I love making things out of wood. I just, the everything about it, the character, the individualization to it, every piece is unique, right? And it's, yeah. it's truly artwork. So for me, it's exciting and we'll see, we'll see where it goes. I need to make sure the, the, the bigger business is doing what it needs to do sure. and it's growing the way it needs to. And when that becomes something, you know, I don't want to say more sustainable because it's sustainable now, but yeah. when I can d dedicate more time off, you know, off to a different project, then I'm going to start doing that. And yeah, we'll and I think too with a business, yeah, with, with with the business running so well as well as it is, um, you're able to not stress about the work you're doing with the wood, right? It's not right. like I have to get it out the door and sell it today. So you're right. able to take your time and learn maybe a new strategy and you know how can I tweak yeah. this to make it look a little bit better, a little bit nicer, you know, versus hey, dude, I got to sell this today or we don't make rent. You know, it's, it's yeah. a huge difference. And you can go online. I mean, people make flags from anywhere from a hundred to a couple hundred bucks. Like I don't sell flags for a couple hundred bucks because mm -hmm. of the amount of time and energy and how well they look when you're standing in front of this thing, it's a piece of art, right? Yeah. It's not just a wooden flag that a lot of companies make them and they make them pretty good. Don't get me wrong, but there's a difference between people that make art and then people that just take wood and, you know, make product out of it. While yeah. that in and of its own right is also art, there's there's classifications and levels to it. So I put there's a lot of care and energy that goes into, you know, into each project that I make. And, you know, therefore, again, it's it's not there to it's not there to pay the mortgage and all that kinds yeah. of stuff. It's there to it's there to give me a little bit of therapy. And, you know, while I'm doing it, might as well make a dollar or two while I'm doing it. Yeah, that's super cool. You have a, a few cool, really interesting, cool things that you do, man. Like. Until, until I talk to you, I would never, I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody even knows what the 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 furnace is. And then, yeah. you know, woodworking afterwards is just like two different crazy, super interesting things. If I wanted to buy a flag or if I wanted to, to contact you to have wood made, how would I do that? So I got a website. It's uh, sjwoodco.com. Uh, most of the flags are on there. If you have a custom project, there's a custom link button. You can just jump on there. And just email me. I mean, at the end of the day, I'll make anything so long as I can and I have the time. If I don't, I want an arc. I, of I want an arc, Stefan. I want an arc. Okay, we make can do that. Arc. It'll it's take a little bit of time. Over. It's not two to three weeks. <laughs> I'm not. Con I'm not confident with the way the country's going. I need an arc. So it's for me. It's what I really like to do, and the thing that I've dr driven with the business is obviously I've narrowed my flags down to a process that makes them look the way they look. But I've worked on some custom flags for people too, like a half police, half fire flag for somebody and talked it through with them what they wanted to look for. But for me, it's like, if you give me something you like, but you want some adjustments, tweaks and, and customizations for yourself, let me know what that is. And I'll draft it up and sketch up and send you a copy. And then if you like it, let's go forward and let's make the project work. It's That's not going to be there in a week. You know, this is, like I said, it's not business number one. So it gets its attention, but it doesn't get, it might not get worked on every single day. Unless yeah. there's a deadline for it. If there's a deadline and I can do it, I'll be upfront about it. If not, I know plenty of woodworkers, you know, in and around the States and around the area of people I follow that do, you know, amazing work too, that would love to tackle, 
you know, fun projects too. So yeah, if you want quick and cheap, you can go to was it Etsy and get like a hundred dollar right. one sent right over to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's probably not what you're gonna get with, with yours. How else can people contact you? Uh yeah, so my first you know, my first last name is pretty much the best way to find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. So it's Stefan, and then my last name Yearns. It's spelled J-O-E-N-S. My first name is J uh, sorry, my first name is S-T-E-F-A-N. Last name is J-O-E-N-S. Many people would think that's Steve Jones. That's my alias. So if you ever get a Steve Jones, I probably think I won't see you again in life. But uh, <laughs> if you get my real name, that means I plan to keep you around for a while. That's awesome. And I I looked when I when I was doing research on you, I think you're the only person with that name. So at least that I could I find on Facebook or anywhere else. So you're pretty yeah, easy to find. I know of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else we're missing? Anything else I'm missing that 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 we need to be asking you? Good question. Um, no, man, I would just, the only thing I could leave it is, you know, if you're, if you're in the process where you're building your business up, um, whether you're new or whether you're working in a business, just keep the faith for yourself, believe in what you're trying to do. At the end of the day, the most important thing is you got to believe in yourself. Even if you know, you don't know the answer to the question, you believe that you can find it. So belief doesn't mean I need to know everything. Belief means I know that I can try to find it. I know that I can go after and get that information. So, you know, going back to the earlier part of the conversation about me moving my way through this business, I didn't know everything that these guys needed, but I believe that I could find a way to do it. So you got to start internally. You got to start with self-belief, build that level of confidence. The way to get there, I always tell people is give yourself a couple of personal wins in life to build confidence. You can do that same thing with people on your team. You can do that same thing with anything in life really, but people perform, people succeed when they have a level of confidence. And that comes from little wins that they get for themselves. And at the end of the day, for anybody in this world who's done 75 hard, uh, you know, the value of, you know, keeping promises with yourself and how much that can do for you as a human. I've done it a few times myself already. I plan to do it again here and there in the future or in the near future. I try to do it every year because it's a great program. It's, it's really good just to reset yourself back to the level you need to be. But believe in yourself, even if you know you know, even if you don't know the answer, believe you'll find it. That's one of the things that I've believed in myself the most. And I think it's given me the ability to move myself through lots of different, you know, challenges I've faced in life is I believe that I can. I believe that I'll find a way through it. Yeah. And anybody can do that, right? You don't have to be a college graduate. You don't have to be yeah. a rocket scientist. You don't have to understand how to make a furnace, you know, right? If you believe you can do it, um, you know, put yourself in a position to succeed, obviously. You have to put yourself in that position somehow. But once yeah. you're there, and if you believe you can do it, um, and and you say yes, like you did, you know, you you gotta say yes. You gotta you gotta put yourself in that position, right? Yeah. Believe you can do it, and you're there. You don't earn a degree in belief. You get that for yourself yeah. by you yourself and your and and that's it. Absolutely. It's amazing to hear how many super successful people say the exact same thing. You yeah. know, I didn't know I did I wasn't a rocket scientist, I didn't know anything. But I threw myself in this business. I said, you know what? Fuck it. We'll, we'll see what happens. If I fail, I fail. What's the worst could happen? I'm already here, right? I'm already here. Yeah. So I mean, the only, I, I could fall back to this. Other than that, I mean. I'll, and failure doesn't mean you're dead. It might, depending on the type of business you work into. Like if you're trying to trust a new parachute and it doesn't work, that kind of <laughs> scenario. But failure doesn't mean you're dead. Failure yeah. means I learned something. Failure means I get a chance tomorrow to go do it again or do it better. Yeah. And you got to take those fails. You got to keep going with failure. You've got to like, it, it's funny. Some of the most successful people, like I, Michael Jordan always says, right? You miss all the shots, uh, 100% of the shots you don't take. 
So yeah. he missed a, a ton of shots, right? Barry Bonds struck out way more times than he hit home runs. But if he didn't get up to bat all those times, he would never have hit all the home runs he hit, right? So you got to keep jumping up to the plate. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't be afraid. Well, well, what if I strike out? Well, dude, you ain't playing base. You ain't even on the team yet. So, like, you may, you will strike out a bunch of times. You're going to have a yeah. shitty time, you know, most of the time up there to bat. But those five home runs you hit, I mean, that's what that's all that really matters, right? I mean, shit, if you're going to use a bas- baseball analogy, batting 300 can get you in the Hall of Fame. Dude, that's, that's, that's three that's out of 30%. 10 hits. Yeah. That's crazy. 30% that can get you in the Hall of Hall Fame, you know? Damn. So for some businesses, that might be all you need. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, you probably yeah. want to do a little better than that, but in the yeah. odds of baseball with ratios of swings and, and pitches and stuff, that's still pretty damn good. And it depends on the volume you're going at. Is 30% great? What, what if what if every sale made you, you know, a million dollars and you're making 30% of your sales? It's pretty damn good. You're, yeah. you're probably kicking ass out there. So, For sure. all right. All right, Stefan, here we go. Well, this Here's has been question. fun, man. This is the big question. All right. I got it. This is, this is, this is all the whole podcast is built on this All right. for land life. I buy and sell land, right? Just dirt and trees. Um, not quite furnaces and painting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I'm just a, I'm just a dude that sells dirt and trees. Now, if you could buy land anywhere in the world, the entire world, where would it be and why? Good question. So for me personally, um, I've been to a lot of places. I've traveled a lot of the world. I have one of those little scratch off map, you know, things so you can see all the places you've been to around the world. And when I lived in Germany, I was able to fortunately go around a lot of the countries that were around there. I saw some really beautiful, amazing places. Um, If I were to pick a land, I think about the places that I've been personally that give me the most level of peace and joy and happiness. And that is typically around mountains. That's typically around... um, Water is cool. I love water, but there's something about mountains that make you makes you realize a little bit of the grandiousness of of how big this world can be and how big things are in this world. Um, I would probably buy some land either in Wyoming or Montana. Montana, most likely, because I've been there the most, and it's surreal about up there. It's it's amazing how many people say Montana, uh, or, or sorry, many how many high successful people say montana like it's it's not fiji it's not you know um i don't know any island paradise most guys say montana so it's i i I did not realize that was going to get that answer but uh but man it's like uh it's pretty consistent it's wide open there's beautiful mountains there's wildlife not a ton of people you know and you can explore there's not too many places in this country you can explore anymore uh have you had the chance to be around montana at all I've been up in uh, northern Wyoming, so I haven't quite made it to Montana, but um, I've been through Wyoming a ton. And I'll tell you right now, you won't see a person for a long time if you get out in the middle of nowhere. You're going to be walking, driving, running, whatever you decide to do. You're going to be out there. It's you and the antelope, maybe some animal, other animals, but not a lot of people. Absolutely, man. It's it's God's country. It's got that name for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. All right, Stefan. Thank you so much, man. PJ, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you for having me on the show and letting me give a little bit of value to your audience and so forth. And I hope it was helpful. And uh, hopefully some people look at metal these days a little differently and give a little appreciation to how all that stuff's made. This is like super cool. I'm going to tell a lot of people about 
I met the guy that makes the little parts on, on Ray-Ban <laughs> sunglasses and, and iPhones and all these little, little pieces everywhere. So that's absolutely, that's, that's super cool. All right, man. Cool, man. Guys, till next time, I'll see you on Land Life. Cheers.